Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Well, it's absolutely lovely to be here today and a joy to have been invited by by Sally and to celebrate with her and Andy this wonderful day of celebration. I want to read the scriptures before I say something worldly. I think that's probably the right order that I should do that in. My wife tells me off that I, I, I apologize in advance if I say things that you find funny today. I'm not actually trying to tell, to tell funny stories. That's not, my, that's not my objective. But in the right order of things, we'll read the scripture. And then I want to share a secret truth that I have harbored for over 40 years. The passage is from Acts chapter 13. This won't be a surprise to many who study the scriptures and have been involved in days like this before. So Acts chapter 13, beginning to read at verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, fascinating this next phrase, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. I pray the Lord would bless his reading to each of our hearts this afternoon. This is the second day I've been in Ipswich. My wife and I traveled down yesterday. And the secret confession I have is that I have been a supporter of Ipswich Town for over 40 years. And... And this is the first time I have ever visited the town, and it's an absolute delight to be here. Um, For those of you who are wondering, why would an Ulsterman support Ipswich Town? I know that nothing I say after this will matter. This is the burning issue of the... Well, you see, in Northern Ireland, most people supported, when I was at uh, secondary school, either Liverpool or Manchester. And I could not be somebody who ran with the herd. And in that particular era, uh, and for those of you who followed Ipswich, you will know uh, the era that I'm thinking about. Ipswich Town was one of the best teams in Europe. I remember cheering when we won that European Cup Winners' Cup. Oh, those were glory days. So it's an absolute privilege to be here. And it's a, it's a, it's a delight to be invited to take part today. And I have a very simple message and a very simple construct. I've been told I'm allowed to speak for 20 minutes, and so I'll try by and large to stick to that. Although those of you, those who know me know that that's not always a simple and straightforward thing. But there is food, and I'm conscious that a lot of folk have gone to a lot of trouble to provide afternoon tea, so I'll try and and, and stick within the timelines. One of the most interesting books I ever read was a a book entitled The Progress of Doctrine. And as a young Christian, I was intrigued and fascinated by things like this. 
And it never occurred to me, because I was very young in my faith, of the order that we find the books of the New Testament. But I had the privilege of working with some older Christians in the faith, and they tried to explain that the book of the Acts is a kind of bridge between the story we read in the gospel accounts and then the epistles, primarily and largely written by the Apostle Paul. And the book of the Acts acts as a kind of bridge between the narrative surrounding the life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus and then those wonderful epistles that we find written by Paul and James and John and so on. But they're more, the book of the Acts is more than simply a kind of bridge from the Gospels onto the epistles. It's more than simply biography, even though it's wildly fascinating. In my Christian walk, I've had the privilege of visiting some of the places that are named in the book of the Acts. I remember being in Paphos and going, Paul was here. It had changed somewhat since Paul had been in Cyprus, but it was nice just at least be in the geographic area where Paul had been. But the book of the Acts is more than simply a story about Paul and Barnabas and what happened on their missionary journeys. It is at heart, fundamentally, a story about God's redemptive purpose. And I think there's a great temptation today for people in the church to believe a narrative that we didn't construct. It's been invented for us. And we're force-fed at almost every time anything said about Christianity on the TV. We are continually bombarded with this notion that Christianity is dying. Churches are closing. Indeed, I had an interesting experience uh, in my, my first year as principal. My son was studying at Aberdeen. I recounted this uh, story last week to the vice chancellor of Aberdeen University. And I was talking about my son's supervisor um, being one of the most prominent um, sociologists of his day. And Steve Bruce wrote a book called God is Dead. That's not a subtle title. And he was supervising my son's um, fourth year dissertation. And somehow he discovered that the young McCormack he was supervising was related to the McCormack that had just been appointed at Spurgeon's College. And so he said to my son, I'll never be invited to Spurgeon's College. Well, you see, that was just like a red flag to bull. I said, oh, really? And he said, in 40 years of academic work, I have only ever been invited to one other Christian gathering. Now, he's one of the world's leading sociologists, and he has spent his entire academic life researching the sociology of religion and religion particularly in the United Kingdom. And so I thought old Steve was trying to communicate to me via my son. So I said to my son, well, ask Steve if he was invited, would he go down to Spurgeon's College? And then he said, yes. So I went in, spoke to some of my senior staff, and I said, look, this world-renowned sociologist is keen to come down and talk about God being dead in the United Kingdom society. What do you think? 
Now, they had all heard of Stephen. We've, I think we've now about 10 of his books in the library, which, again, came as a complete shock. He wouldn't have thought that uh, a college like Spurgeon's would have had a list of his books or an array of his books. But he's actually on the Sociology, sociology of Religion course. So Steve came down, and we had this interesting conversation. He said, do you know I'm going to say some hard things? I said, that's fine. And then I said something that I wanted to try and take the wind out of his seals. If we're going to win people for Christ, we need to engage with people like you. We can't be afraid of what you say. We can't be afraid of your message. Because I'm absolutely, utterly committed to this belief that Christ will build his church and the kingdom of God will come. Now, one of the key phrases in that passage we read is that the Holy Spirit talks about the work that he had for Saul and Barnabas. And nothing has changed. That principle remains the same today as it has ever been. How do I know that to be the truth? Because you and I are still sitting here. If God's work was complete, guess where we would be? It's not going to be in a lovely building like this. I think it will be in a much finer place. Oh, what singing. Dinner singing was lovely today, and I thoroughly enjoyed that. But I think the singing of the place we're going to is going to be spectacularly good. And the fact that we're not there yet means that the purpose of God is not complete on earth. His job is not finished. There is a work that the Spirit of God has to do. And it's a work that we are called to do. And I think one of the amazing aspects of this passage that God led in my heart to speak on today is the relationship between the local church and the mission of God in transforming the world. Now, as Baptists, we have a unique ecclesiology. That's just a big word for saying the way we do church. And I was, um, I was with somebody, and, and it's lovely to have some Anglican friends with us today. And, you know, sometimes our Anglican friends look at Baptists and go, Oh, you're all autonomous churches? Yes, we are. We live in relationship with other Baptist churches. But, you know, one of the lovely things about this passage is that all the work that Barnabas and Saul would do is associated with that church. That we're in that spiritual place where God could set apart these two individuals to seek, to complete, or undertake the work that the Spirit of God had for them. This is not Antioch, to the best of my knowledge. This is Ipswich. This is Burlington Baptist Church. But in a very real and tangible sense, on this day of ordination, you're in exactly the same place as Antioch was. In recognizing the call of the Spirit of God to set someone apart for the purpose of God and the work of God and the mission of God. I am convinced that we as Christians, particularly English people, British folk, I'd say that because I'm from Northern Ireland, we really underplay what we do and the impact we have. 
I have a range of meetings that I've been invited to speak at, and so I've been uh, doing a lot of uh, preparation, reading a lot of commentaries, reading a lot of stuff in preparation for this. And I came across a beautiful poem. It's actually a song that I'd never encountered before. And I thought, how appropriate for today. And because I'm running out of time, I, I actually won't read it. I'll tell you about it. It's a song that's set in which when we get to heaven, we meet those whose lives were affected and touched because of the work that we did. Work that we can't remember. Work that perhaps went unnoticed. But as a fellowship, I don't really think we ever spend time in that humble aspect of Christians thinking about the thousands, if not tens of thousands of lives that have been touched by this fellowship here because you have sought throughout your existence in ministry to be faithful to listening to the voice of God, to participate in the mission of God in the transforming of lives. Now, one of the most beautiful pictures and images in the book of the Revelation is of the bridal gown that will be presented to the church. And it talks about the bridal gown being composed of the righteous acts of the saints. I find that mind-bogglingly amazing. That the garment in which the church will be arrayed in throughout eternity, that resplendent garment that just will be amazing, granted to the church on that day whenever she is united with Christ in glory. And it is composed of the small little acts that the people do. So every time you supported Sally and Andy in their ministry, you were supporting the ministry of this couple. And that every gospel conversation that they have, every time they seek to share the work of God, that amazing message of Christ, you play a part. It's part of your heritage. Only in glory will we fully recognize the incredible impact we have had on the lives of people without even knowing we were a part of the sovereign purpose and plan of the Spirit of God. Lives transformed simply because we were obedient. You were obedient. Every time when you felt, do you know what? I don't really want to go to church today. You're all looking very serious now. No one here would ever do that. Sure you wouldn't. No one here would get up on a Sunday morning and go, oh, no. I really don't want to go to church. But, you know, even sometimes just that act of duty can encourage the pastor. And you never know who might be visiting on that Sunday, who might have come in just for the first time with no interest in 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 perhaps going to church, but something, the Spirit of God moved them and they came in. How many times have you sat beside a stranger in this place and just said hello? And that act of Christian kindness spoke volumes about the reality of the gospel. I love the fact that in this lovely passage in which 
Paul and Barnabas are set apart for a fantastic gospel campaign. They will forever be linked with the local church and Antioch and their godliness and their faithfulness. So every time Sally preaches the gospel, every time Sally speaks to a stranger about Christ, this church stands behind the ministry of Sally. It's a phenomenal thing to have the privilege to recognize and identify the calling of God in someone's life. And then finally, as the time goes whoosh, still trying to stick to time, um, Sally. Many of the commentators that I've read um, in preparing for my talk on this passage specifically point out how the passage is phrased. Set apart for me, Barnabas and Saul. As Beth has said in her opening words, all of us who know and love the Lord Jesus have been set apart in Christ for him. But the word that's used in or the word that's used in Acts 13 is not the word that is used of Christians being sanctified unto Christ and set apart unto Christ. It is a unique word in this regard. It means to mark out a boundary to identify a specific place. In other words, to mark something out as unique and distinct for a particular purpose. And that's what ordination is. It is that marking out, that setting apart, that recognition that in the plan and purpose of God, God has a specific ministry and task for both Sally, supported by Andy. Because it is a team ministry. So in 30 years of of ministry, I've recognized that ministry is a team ministry. And my wife has supported me through an an array of things. Being an army chaplain for over 20 years, that meant 13 house moves. That's a lot. But underpinning all that we have sought to do is this notion that God had set me apart for God's purpose, for God's plan. Now, there's a temptation, and I'm really glad that there was honesty here today. I'm really glad that Linda was able to speak on behalf of the college and be honest and say that sometimes following God is not easy. Sometimes it's difficult. Sometimes it's hard. And I remember when I was training at the Irish Baptist College, and it's remarkable how similar Baptist training is. It really doesn't matter where you go. It's fairly similar. And one of the things that struck me, that all the pastors that we had lecturing uh, us would all talk about the importance of the sense of call to sustaining Christian ministry. And I'll let you into a little secret. And it's something that I've been reflecting on actually thinking about today and coming here and being asked to speak at this wonderful day of celebration. And I know I'm not the only minister that this has ever happened to. But I had a, I had a day like this. Cumber Baptist Church set me apart for the work of the gospel. I was inducted into the pastorate at Kaidoff Baptist Church. 
And there was, there was tea and cake and the church was packed and it was exciting and it was brilliant. And of course, for the first six months, the pastor could do no wrong. We've all had those moments, the honeymoon period. But I remember driving up to the pastor's conference in Port Rush. It's quite an attractive little seaside town in Northern Ireland. And the thing that was on my mind was, have I made a mistake? Now, I've stood in front of um, what they're called fast-trained civil servants. So these are the really bright young people who will be masters of universe and command large departments in Her Majesty's civil service. And they were really interested to find out about chaplaincy ministry. And you know, it comes as an utter and complete shock to, for them to discover just what goes in to someone being identified, set apart, recognized, approved, ordained, inducted, and then continuing in ministry. Now, these really bright kids that will, you know, as I said, lar- lead large departments in the, Her Majesty's Civil Service were aghast. At every single stage of this process, someone's assessing you. If it's not Linda, it's me or Simon Jones at college, the other members of the student body, and it doesn't finish. She now goes and becomes an arm, a newly accredited minister, and we have her for another three years of observation and scrutiny, and then at the end of it, she might get a handshake at the General Assembly and, well, well done. Years and years and years and years of assessment and observation and reflection. It's what we do. And I'm sure it's the same in other denominations. No different. So you would think nothing would ever trouble the minister that has gone through that. Oh, what nonsense. The question that was in my mind when I was traveling up to the pastor's conference was, had I made a terrible mistake? Because we had sold our house. I took voluntary redundancy from the shipyard. We had put everything on the line. And I was at a point in my ministry, very young in my ministry, when I was thinking, I made it And then I got to the pastor's conference feeling like a fraud. Because everybody was going, hi, how are you? Handshakes. Didn't do hugs in Northern Ireland. It's more like a brisk handshake. <laughs> and then I listened to the conversations. And then when you're with other pastors, you get a, there's, a, there's an honesty sometimes emerges, and it was lovely. And then I realized I wasn't alone. I wasn't the only one feeling that. And in those dark days, Because there are dark moments of the soul in ministry. Every minister here knows that and has experienced it. One of the critical things that we return to again and again and again is that sense of call. That absolute belief that the Spirit of God who makes no mistakes set us apart. He didn't set us apart to a fabulously successful ministry. What God expects of His people isn't success. That's His job. What God expects of His people is faithfulness. 
to be faithful to what we have been called to do, to discharge the duty that God has entrusted to us. And so, Sally, I say to you, and I don't mean to be a prophet of doom, but the dark days will come. The problems will emerge. The lovely people that have called you to their church will fall out with you in some issue or whatever. And you will have to navigate your way through that as a family. And what are families like? Families never argue, sure they don't. No. We all come from loving, warm families that never, ever, ever fall out. Well, no, it's not true. Sure it's not because we're human beings. and that. Always remember this. Your ordination is recognition that the Spirit of God has set you apart for Him. Hold on to that in your ministry. And so today I finish with a challenge. I am absolutely convinced, as I said, that God's work is not complete. I find it really hard to imagine that Sally is the only one in this congregation today who has heard God call to a ministry and to a work. I am utterly convinced, and 30 years of experience on the road as a minister has taught me this, that God calls many more people than are prepared to hear and respond. So I wonder to whom is God speaking this afternoon? And the challenge on this day of celebration, recognition, and ordination is will we be open to the Spirit of God, not just to celebrate with Sally, but to perhaps hear God speak and then to feel that challenge of God's call on our lives.